All right, open your copy of God's Word, please, to Psalm 19. Psalm 19. We're going to spend four weeks together in this psalm. And uh, trust that when we are done with that, you will have a whole new appreciation for the God who has revealed himself to us. He has revealed himself to us through creation. And most specifically, and in a saving way, he has revealed himself through the scriptures. And I'm excited about what we're going to learn together. Follow with me as I read the whole psalm. Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaim his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them. There is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart Be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We'll focus our attention this morning on the first six verses, where we see that creation reveals the glory of the Creator, not its own glory. Creation reveals the glory of the Creator, not its own glory. The more we admire the wonder and beauty of creation, the more glory we ascribe to the one who made it all. We don't add glory to God when we glorify God. We ascribe to him the glory that is already his. And he has displayed that glory in creation. So the more we ascribe to the one who made it all, the more we are worshiping God. If you are an art lover, you understand this principle. When you visit the Cleveland Museum of Art, you can see some of the most beautiful works of art known to man. But as you stand gazing at a Monet, you don't marvel at the canvas that it is painted on, nor do you marvel at the handmade frame that draws your eyes into the picture. 
you glory in something else. Your mind transcends the painting and you begin to glory in the painter. How did he do that? How did he, he paint that in such a way that it feels as though I could walk right into that picture? Or if you look at a copy of the Mona Lisa or fly to Paris to see the original, you don't glory in the 500-year-old painting or the 30-inch by 20-inch piece of wood that it is painted on. Your mind is taken somewhere else. Who is that strange-looking woman, you think? And what's up with her quirky half-smile? And, and what's going on in that head behind those piercing brown eyes? The art takes you in your mind to the artist, and you wonder. At the end of the day, you don't praise the Mona Lisa. You talk about Leonardo Leonardo da Vinci. You talk about the artist. The most famous painter in the world. You wonder, how did he paint those eyes in such a way that she follows you wherever you walk? The creation brings glory to the one who created it. Does not bring glory to itself. Same could be said of a famous composer like Mozart or Handel or an architect like Frank Lloyd Wright. Design brings glory to the designer. And God intended creation to do exactly that, but in an infinitely greater way. And God reveals himself in creation so that beholding his creation takes our mind and our heart to infinite places to worship him, to adore him, to give him the glory. And God revealed himself to us for our good. He revealed himself so that we may know him. I don't know if you've ever thought of it this way before, but God didn't have to reveal himself to us. He was completely sufficient, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in and of themselves for all eternity. But then chose in a council of the Trinity to create man and woman is in his image and that men and women and boys and girls would reflect the glory of God in ways that no other part of creation can reflect him and he revealed himself so that we might know him that we may know about him most importantly that we may know him in relationship. And so it's through his revelation that God shows us that our ultimate good is found only outside of ourselves. 
not within ourselves. And in creation, we see the majesty, the magnitude, and the bigness of God, you might say. As John Piper has said so well, no one goes to the Grand Canyon to increase their self-esteem. When you are standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon, you are in awe. And you're not thinking, man, am I an important person on this planet? (laughs) You feel really small. And that's a good thing. Because God's creation causes us to remember just how big he is. So Psalm 19 is all about the revelation of God. The first six verses describe how God reveals himself in his world. The second half of the psalm reveals how God reveals himself in his word. Theologians refer to this as two kinds of revelation, general revelation and special revelation. General revelation is the self-disclosure of God in creation to all people. God reveals basic truths about his existence and his attributes. Creation tells us instinctively that there is someone beside ourselves that we should worship. Special revelation is God's self-disclosure of his will through his word. And so it's through scripture that we understand not just knowledge about God, but we understand how to actually know God. So today we're going to study the first six verses and we're going to learn about general revelation. The rest of the month we'll zero in on special revelation and see how God's word meets every soul-related need that we have. That brings us to our big idea this morning, and that is this. The heavens reveal the glory of God to every person everywhere. The heavens reveal the glory of God to every person everywhere. That is David's point in these first six verses. And this morning, God wants you to pay attention to three characteristics of his revelation that should lead you to worship him as your creator. Number one, God's revelation in creation is unceasing and filled with knowledge. Look at verses one and two. The heavens declare the glory of God. Now, the heavens in the Bible refer to the atmosphere right above us, but also the the solar system. There are actually three heavens mentioned in the Bible. There is the heavens right above us, the solar system, the air that we breathe. There is the heavens, the solar system, where all the planets are, where the sun is, and, and all of that. And then there is the third heaven, which the Apostle Paul was caught up to, according to his testimony in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, which is where God is. So the heavens, specifically here, because he later mentions the sun, he's talking about the solar system. 
The heavens declare the glory of God. They're, they're always shouting the glory of God. And the sky above proclaim his handiwork. Notice verse 2. It's unceasing. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. Since the moment that God created the heavens, they have not stopped giving him praise. They have not stopped calling man's attention to the majesty of God. They have not stopped declaring that our God is an awesome God. He is massive. He is big. He is perfect. There is nothing he cannot do. There were many Sunday mornings when we lived in Sheboygan that I would drive two miles to Lake Michigan early Sunday morning because my nerves were really high as they often are on Sunday mornings, just anxious about being faithful to God's word and preaching and doing my best for his glory. And, and I would just park my car there on the shore of Lake Michigan and I would pray something like, God, you made this incredible body of water that I'm looking at. You, you made it just by speaking. The power of your word is incredible. Help me to trust you. And help me to trust that your word in Scripture is just as powerful. It'll do the work that you want it to do. See, creation is here for us to enjoy, but most importantly, to cause us to look upward to the one who made it all. So creation is constantly preaching this God-exalting sermon to us. Now, there are other creation psalms that um, develop this further. Turn with me to, to uh, two examples. Psalm 33. So turn to the right in your Bible. Psalm 33, verses 6 through 9. Psalm 33, 6. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. This is an echo of Genesis 1. That God spoke everything into existence. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap, and he puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. What's the point? The point again is what we see in the power of God in creation ought to lead us to stand in awe of him, verse 8, to fear him. That means to reverence him, to bow in submission to him, to worship him. Look at Psalm 104. Psalm 104 speaks of creation, promise 
of God, the power of God, but it also speaks of the creation after the flood. So in other words, what did, how did God adjust the earth after Noah's flood? Beautiful description here in Psalm 100, verse 104, verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beams of his chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes his messengers winds. His ministers a flaming fire. That's referring to angels. If you connect that to the book of Hebrews. Verse 5. He set the earth on its foundations so that it should never be moved. You covered it with the deep. Talking about Noah's flood. You covered the whole earth with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. Reaffirming the testimony of Genesis. At your rebuke, verse 7, they fled. What fled? The waters. When the flood waters had carried out the appointed judgment that God sent them for, God spoke and they fled. They receded. The sound of your thunder, at the sound of your thunder, they took to flight. The mountains rose. So, to deal with all of that water that had covered the earth to the point where it covered the mountains, God did two things. He made the mountains taller and he lowered the floor of the ocean. So that never again would the water cover the face of the earth in judgment. And God's promise of that is the rainbow in the sky. The rainbow is first and foremost God's. It belongs to God. And it's a promise of him saying to us, never again will I judge the world in a worldwide flood. Every time we see that rainbow in the sky, we think of the faithfulness, the promises of God. The mountains rose, the valleys sank to the place you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass. He said to the oceans, you may come this far and no further. So that they might not again cover the earth it goes on and on to testify of ways that God's power and majesty is made known through creation. So David's point in verses 1 and 2 is that God's revelation in creation is unceasing and filled with knowledge. It is constantly preaching this God-centered message to us about the knowledge of God. Secondly, notice there's another characteristic. This is in verses 3 and 4, back in Psalm 19. That is, God's revelation in creation is nonverbal and universal. So, their creation is preaching to us constantly of the power of God, but it's a silent sermon. No, no voice. 
No words. Look at verses 3 and 4. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun. So God's word says to us that his world preaches a silent sermon to us and it never stops. It's nonverbal and it's universal. Their voice goes out through all the earth. Now this is really important to grasp, really important to remember because it becomes for the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans, it becomes the basis for God's judgment of all unbelievers. Turn with me to Romans chapter one. Because as I said earlier, two kinds of revelation, general revelation and special revelation. General revelation is God revealing himself to everyone, everywhere. And he does that through creation. The revelation that God provides to us in creation, according to the apostle, is enough knowledge to condemn us as sinners, but it is not enough to save us. Let me say that again. The revelation of God in creation is enough to condemn us because we know there is someone we ought to worship. But it's not enough to save us. To save us, we need the gospel. We need a verbal message about God rescuing us from sin. And so we come to Romans chapter 1, pick it up in 16, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So we're seeing the power of God in creation. Well, now we see the power of God in the gospel. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the message of the Son of God crucified for our sins and raised the third day to give us life. I'm not ashamed of that message because that is the very life of God. That is the power of God to give us spiritual life. For in it, verse 17, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. It's in the gospel that we learn of the righteousness of God. It's not in creation. You can look at the Grand Canyon for days and days and days. You will not learn anything about the righteousness of God. You will learn about the majesty of God, the power of God, and how, how you ought to just bow in awe of this God who can make such beauty. But you won't walk away from the Grand Canyon thinking, God is righteous and holy, and I'm a wretch, and I'm a sinful wretch. Your conscience will tell you that you're a sinner, as mine does and yours does. But it's only the good news of Christ that preaches to us the righteousness of God 
so that we may know how we might be saved. For, verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth, hold down the truth. That's what we see happening in a widespread scale in our world. You just take the doctrine of creation alone and its suppression. It, it, it's suppression now for decades and decades and decades. It is no wonder then there is no moral fabric left in our society that holds people together to do right and not do wrong. Because the truth of God has been suppressed, held down by lies. For what here, now here's where he brings in general revelation. You wondered where I was going with this. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. In the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. What God has revealed to us about himself in creation is enough to hold all of us accountable to him and it is enough to condemn us if we do not turn to Jesus and believe the gospel which alone can save us. So this really shows you why it's so important that we understand what David is teaching us here in Psalm 19. That God's revelation is nonverbal. It is available to all. It's universal. God reveals his glory to all people everywhere. Through creation and through the conscience, every person knows they are accountable to God. What many do not know is how then to be made right with this all-powerful God. That's where the gospel comes in. And our understanding of Romans, excuse me, Psalm 19 fuels our commitment to missions. Because if creation, as Paul argues in chapter 1 of Romans, if creation is the way that God has made all men, women, boys, and girls on the planet accountable to Him, but they can't be saved by that knowledge. And that's where the church comes in. That's where the gospel comes in. That's where we are committed then to take the gospel to the ends of the earth that many more may come to know Christ 
and be saved. There's a third characteristic back in Psalm 19. God's revelation in creation centers on the Son. When I'm using the word creation there, I'm speaking of the way David is here, the heavens. It's rising is from the ends of the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them there is nothing hidden from its heat what's it it is the sun the sun that's introduced in verse 4 the heavens are a tent and the sun is the light inside of that tent and the sun comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber running to meet his bride and like a strong man that runs its course with joy. The sun is the center of our solar system. Its gravity holds the entire solar system together. Everything in the solar system revolves around the sun. Planets, asteroids, comets, even all the debris It's up in space. Our sun sustains life on our planet. But the sun is not the source of life. The source of life is the God who made it, is the God who set it as a light in the tent of the heavens. We see this in in Genesis chapter 1. If you'll just turn back there, notice that God created the sun, moon, and stars, the solar system, all the planets, the galaxies. He did all of that on day four of creation week. It says in verse 14, and God said... Again, this is reaffirmation of what you saw in the Psalms. God spoke creation into existence. Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. Let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. Let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. So God made lights for the day, a light for the daytime and lots of lights for the nighttime, the moon and the stars. God made the two great lights, verse 16, the greater light to rule the day, that's the sun, the lesser light to rule the night, that's the moon and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness and God saw that it was good. And verse 14 says, God also set all of these planets and the sun and the moon in the soul, in the space to be our calendar for signs and seasons and days and years. Our calendar system is built upon creation week. It's 
God's amazing design, His goodness displayed toward us. In the New Testament, then, we learn that the Son of God, Jesus Christ, is the agent of creation. He's the one who is in the beginning with God. He is the Word. He is the one that through all things were made. Colossians chapter 1 speaks of Christ this way, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And listen to this last verse. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus is the creator and the sustainer of the universe. He holds all things together. The sun may hold our solar system together, but the Son of God holds the sun together. All in his sovereign control. All being used for the purpose for which they were created. Creation brings glory to God. Just as a beautiful painting brings glory to the painter. Back in 2011, I was in Moscow training pastors, and my translator took me to the Moscow Museum of Art, and I was just in awe to see paintings that were over a thousand years old hidden away, protected during those 70 wretched years of the Soviet Union and then eventually brought back out for the world to see. Some of those paintings, I'm not really an art guy, but I could have sat and looked at some of those paintings for hours because they just drew you in. You wanted to be in that painting. There was so much to see. That's what creation does for us. Creation draws us in, draws us into worship the one who made everything that we see. So let me just encourage you to not just drive by creation. Don't just drive by creation at 80 miles an hour. I'm not just talking about in your car on the highway. I'm just talking about life. What would happen if we would slow down? What would happen to our awareness of God if we would turn off the TV and put our screens away and go on a walk, plant some flowers in the yard and work in the garden and go out to that, that park east of us that's the darkest place in the state of Ohio and look up into the sky at the stars. How our hearts might be stirred to worship this wonderful, powerful, awesome God.
is when you behold this God, you get a, a rightful sense of who you are. It's like David says in Psalm 8, Oh, Lord our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. When I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? When we stop long enough to look up into the heavens and see the majesty and the power of God, we are moved in our spirits to say, God, who am I? Who am I that you would care about me? Who am I that you would love me? Who am I that you would send your only, one and only begotten Son to die on the cross in my place for my sins and rise to new life so that I could live? Who am I that you are mindful of me, that you think about me? This is the kind of God we know through the scriptures. This is the kind of God. This is the God that we can only know through saving faith in Jesus Christ. If you are here this morning and you do not know this God, let me just say to you that God is mindful of you He thinks about you. He's thinking about you right now. And through the gospel, through the word of God, the Holy Spirit is calling you. Calling you to turn away from yourself and turn to Christ. Turn away from your own self-confidence, your own self-effort, your own self-made religion. and turn to the only begotten Son of God who gave his life to purchase you, to purchase you out of the slave market of sin and to give you freedom and the gift of eternal life. This, according to Scripture, is the greatest demonstration of the love of God. It is the giving of the Son of God for us while we were yet God's enemies. Do you know this Savior? Do you know this God? Father, we thank you for lifting our eyes to the heavens to see your majesty and power and greatness. Thank you for reminding us of how big you are and then to reflect upon the fact that in spite of how small we are in comparison, you are mindful of us. You think about us. You care about us. You care about our fears and our sins and our wants and our needs and 
You know them all. Help us, Lord, to worship you. Worship you the way that you desire to be worshipped. And now, Father, as we lift up our eyes to look to the Lord Jesus, as we remember his sacrifice for us, turn our eyes, Lord, to Jesus. Use the physical bread, the physical cup, to turn the eyes of our heart to Christ, the only one who can save us.